Welcome to York Hospital Ball and our latest lockdown special. This week's guest is John Byrne. In this episode, John covers his time at Bootham Crescent from when he was an apprentice in 1979, being part of the record-breaking 101 points side to when he left for QPR in 1984. Byrne also discusses his later career in France as well as his time representing the Republic of Ireland and his cult status at Sunderland, having scored in every round of the FA Cup up until the final in 1992. If you are enjoying these podcasts, then please consider donating to justgiving.com forward slash York Hospital Radio. Justgiving.com forward slash York hospital radio to help us continue providing a service to people suffering in your hospital your hospital ball is a spin-off of your hospital radio and the views of our guests are their own and might not necessarily represent the views of the station but without further ado here is the legendary john byrne so John, thanks for joining us. There's a couple of things when I was researching your career that kind of stood out and I wanted to ask you whether these things were kind of true. And, and the first one is how you kind of came to sign for Oxford as an apprentice in 1977. A taxi driver spotted you playing in a park in Manchester and recommended you to Wilf McGuinness. Is, is that correct? That is absolutely 100% correct. It's a bit of a bizarre way to, to get there because, I mean, obviously uh, I was playing for the school teams and I was playing, I played for Manchester boys, a couple of age groups. We were playing Play, we used to play on the school f- uh, playing fields uh, near our house and um, we used to go cut through the, the railings and we noticed a car every day, like, would stop and be watching us. This was during the school holidays and what have you. And then we used to play in, a, in, in the street near some blocks of flats and that. And this car used to turn up there. And this went on for a few weeks. There was one day we were coming out of the railings, uh, pushing our way through. And this bloke got out of a white car and uh, he came up and he, he called me over. And it was all a bit weird and a bit scary at the time, as you can imagine. And he said, um, my name's Mike Walker. He said, I'm a, a scout for York City. We were all looking at each other very dubious, you know, because you don't, you know, we've, we've heard a few lines before, but a scout for York City is a, a weird one to use anyway. It turned out to be true. What you've got to remember is Wilf McGuinness was Manchester United's manager. Real close association with Manchester. And he just had some feelers out. And Mike, uh, who became one of my best friends, you know, God rest his soul, unfortunately passed away a, a few years ago. He did a bit of scouting in Manchester. And as I say, that's how it all went. And I came over to York to play a few Northern Intermediate games. I must have only been about 14, 15 at the time. As I say, I played a few games. They liked me. And they asked me what I wanted to sign schoolboy forms, which... Which I did. One of the, the stories of that, I signed schoolboy on the day that York City, I think they got beat by Brighton and Ovalbier. I think it was something like 7-1. And it was on match of the day that evening. And my daddy was a, an Irishman and he had a, a little bit of wit. He said to me, he said, God, he said, you might be playing next week. <laughs> that result. But that's how it all started. That's it. Yeah, Wilf had this Manchester connection. And as I say, you know, Mike, God bless him, he, he got us to York and that's how it all started. So were there any other teams after you around that time? I know you said you played for Manchester Boys. Was, was York kind of your, your only real option? Well, it was. I was I was obsessed with trying to become a footballer. I mean, I'd, you know, I'd, be, I'd drive my 
you know, my parents mad, you know, throwing a ball against the wall while they're trying to watch television, running up and down the stairs trying to keep fit. No, Mike put a few feelers out with other clubs as well. Like, so I went, I went to Bolton Wonders for a trial when I was about 14, 15, but they just said he was, I was too small. And when I was 15, 16, I was, I was a, like a nine stone weakling, really. You know, there was nothing on me. When I first went to York, they used to call me the bottle of milk because I was so white. I'd never see, you know, we never see the sun very much in Manchester. And I was so skinny. So I didn't start to fill out for a few years and get a little bit of strength about me. So I guess York really was, yeah, my only only real option at the time. When you signed for them as an apprentice, did you kind of get put up in digs? How did it work? Well, yeah. You see, kids, now I've got a 10-year-old boy, like, you know, and he's got his little player, Bobby, and he plays, you know, for Brighton boys and what have you. But, you know, he gets took everywhere to games and you get picked up. I mean, I remember the day I left home to come to York. I just had a bag. I said goodbye to my parents. I got the bus into Manchester and got the train across and then walked from York Station to Booth and Crescent. And that was my first day in York. And the club put me up in digs. The first set of digs didn't turn out particularly great. And I ended up going to live with Gary Ford's mum and dad, with Gary. And that turned out brilliant because I was, I'm still keeping touch with them now. And I've, I'm sort of like, you know, become one of the family, which is, was, was fantastic. But yeah, no, it was just a difference. Yeah, there was no one taking me to York, you know. And I just phoned my parents up once a week on a Friday. And they said, how are you doing? I said, I'm all right. And very different to, to today's youngsters, you know, starting in football. Today, you could just text your mum and dad, couldn't you? Or speak to them on social media. I guess back then, it was just having a landline and a short conversation. Well, that's it. Well, they didn't even have it. I used to have to go to the phone box. I used to have to save me two peas up and what have you. Because Gary Ford's mum, as much as I love her, she used to put a lock on the phone so I wasn't ringing Manchester all the time. She'll kill me for saying that. She doesn't know, though. We knew where the key was. She does know. So around that time, you mentioned Gary Ford. And then there was some other players I was looking at that were around at the same time. So Neil Warnock will have played around that time as well, weren't he? And Peter Lorimer? Yeah, Laurie. Yeah, Neil Warnock. Yeah, Warnie came in for a while. What a character he was. And it's, you know, no surprise he's gone off and, and done what he did do. You know, he's such a confident character. Peter Lorimer was great when he came. He, he still had that little bit of quality about him. The funny thing with Laurie, like, we'd all be warming up before the games and he didn't come in till 10 to 3. He'd be watching the racing in the players' bar come in and say, oh, I've just had a couple of winners and put his boots on and off he went. There was other characters there. There was a great lad, Joe Neenan. I don't know if you remember Joe the goalkeeper at the time. Joe was a Manchester lad and he used to take me home at the weekend sometimes. He was a, a, a good lad. He became a big friend with Ian Botham and um, I think he's still living in York now, Joe. Great lad. The second thing I was going to uh, mention about, I didn't know whether this story was true, but I was reading Dennis Smith's autobiography recently and he was saying that you, you were allergic to grass when he first went to York. <laughs> well, I, well, I used to get hay fever. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I was, out in the, I was out in the cold. It was, you know, when Dennis came, I mean, I was sort of probably struggling to sort of stay at the club maybe. And, you know, I mean, there was a couple of managers came in. Charlie Wright was there for a while. He gave me a few, my, my debut, I think, Charlie. And then Kevin Randall took over for a short period. Kev, God bless him. But we didn't see eye to eye. He didn't. He, he didn't really fancy me, and I was sort of training on my own a little bit. And you know, I didn't really train with the first team. And I think uh, Dennis came and he said to Barry Swallow because I think Swallow was in charge uh, at that time for a short period. And he said, "Who's that lad over there?" 
he went with John Byrne. He said, "But um, yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't like training on grass. It's because I, but it was. I want allergic. To, I just had a, a, a fever." <laughs> so, so you made your debut just before and then to 18 against Lincoln in 1979. What what are your memories of your, of your debut for York City? Well, I think that was I came on as a sub, didn't I, in that game? And it was the most surreal feeling to to come on in a in a league match with fans there, you know, because up till then I'd only played normally intermediate league and the uh, reserves. And to come on in a, a real game was yeah, it was it was it was it was unbelievably nerve wracking, but it was a, a feeling. And you know, when you came off the pitch, you, you just got, you just wanted more of it. You know, I think that's what it is. Once once you get a little taste as a kid, you either go two ways. You you know, you either want more or you rest on your laurels a bit. And I I, I wanted more of that. That was a, a great feeling. And that must have been the same when you scored your first goal as well. I think was it against Scunthorpe? It was, and I can I can see it now. And, and uh, you'd be amazed, and I would be amazed that I actually scored it with my head. My first ever goal was with my head, and I wasn't renowned for my aerial threat, but I can see it now. It's coming. It was a corner. And I managed to get up and I guided it into the top corner. It was a bit of a fluke, I guess, but you know, it's it's something you never forget. Your first goal, it, it's still ingrained. I can I can just see it uh, dropping into the back of the net now. Because I was looking at the fixtures on that on that kind of uh, season, and you'd already played Scunthorpe in the league three games before and lost six one away. It was weird how the fixtures sort of worked out. Yeah, I mean, yeah, football was it was very different then, wasn't it? As I say, we were in a we were usually in a, a bit of a relegation battle. It was there were quite tough times at the club. You know, the managers would get come in and go in, and well, we can say it's very different to how it is now. It's a lot worse at York City now, isn't it, than those days? But they were a real struggle at times. So, what was the difference that Dennis Smith and Viv Busby made when they came in? I just think that they they brought in because Dennis had played at the top level. That's what you've got to remember, and so had Viv. And I think you've got to remember what they brought in. They brought in that sort of mentality, you know. Whereas before, you know, we had like a Division Four mentality. They started to bring in like a Division One uh, mentality to everything that we were doing. You know, the training up to gear. They started to bringing players, you know, who had a little bit more quality and everything about it, it just changed the trade. I mean, me me and Keith Walwyn used to always go back because Keith was already at the club when Dennis came. He'd already signed. I think Kevin Randall signed him. But Viv, all of a sudden, every Wednesday afternoon when everybody was off, me and Keith would be in and we'd be in working on where to make runs, playing up front as a two. You know, we'd be down at Clifton, you know, the the, the old training ground down there. All of a sudden, I was being taught how to play, where to make runs, you know. And we were doing a lot of work on finishing and fitness. I think that, yeah, it's just that different mentality. You know, it, it, it all of a sudden started to to up everybody's game, I think. Yeah, and you mentioned Keith Walwyn there, and that, that is something that many York City fans say was the best partnership they've ever seen up front, you and Keith. How natural was that that partnership and how much did you have to kind of work at it? Well, like I say, you know, we used to go and work on runs and stuff like that, you know, making runs when certain players have got the ball. Like if we full back, you know, pick the ball up Chris Evans on the right-hand side or Alan A on the left-hand side, you know, we'd work, you know, who was going to go short, who was going to go long, who was going to peel off to the far post. Well, I've got to say, a lot of it with Keith, you know, me and him, it was it, it, it was probably more natural. I mean, I, I always thrive playing off a, a big striker, you know, because... 
Keith was, you know, he had great ability, but he was also, you know, you wouldn't want to mark him. He'd, he'd knock defenders about. He used to, I've, the number of times I've seen him put goalkeepers into the back of the net. You know, goalkeepers were, were if a ball was going up, that you, you could always see them having a second look to see where Keith was. And he was a great foil for me. He was, you know, a fantastic foil for me to play off. And he was such a, a good player himself. He knew where the back of the net was. He had a decent enough touch. And quite rightly so, you know, he is a legend in, in um, York City with all the York City fans and, and fully deserved. I mean, where, where does he rank in terms, of, I know you've gone on to play at a very high level, where does he rank in kind of the all-time players that you've played with? Well, I'll tell you a quick story. When I first went to York, right, the first training session I did with the first team, I was like, oh my word, the quality of these players is phenomenal, you know, because I'd only played school football and stuff like that. And that was uh, Division 4, bottom of Division 4. Now, when I went to Queen's Park Rangers, my first training session with Queen's Park Rangers, I was thinking, what am I doing here with these players? Because the, the, the level had just really, you know, zipped forward a, a, a few notches. Because, you know, the higher up you go, the quality of the play, the quality of the passing, the talk, everything like that, you know, is, is, it's just unbelievable. And if you go into the next step, into the international level, you know, you, you're going through the roofs. So where would you put Keith in that level? Keith, Keith could have played at a, a, a much higher level. I'm not sure how high he went after York City because they played in league, what, what is now League One, didn't they? I'm not sure whether he got into the championship. But, but to be honest with you, he would have been a handful for any defenders, anyone. Um, so let's let's talk about that, that team of the century sort of side where where you uh, won the league in 1983-84 season. What what was that season like for you? I mean, you know, your stats are obviously unbelievable: 27 goals, and you're ever present in in the team. You got in the team of the year as well. To sum up, what that season was like for you? It was phenomenal. It was absolutely brilliant. You know, because I'd gone from York City. I'd seen everything at York City. I'd been there at the the, the you know the bottom of the of the fourth division, uh, re-election, all this stuff, you know, and then all of a sudden to be, you know, tipped into, turned into a decent outfit by Dennis and Viv, it, it was phenomenal, you know, the, you could see it building the season before, you know, when they came in, you could see the confidence was, was there and, and it was just all, everything fitted into place, you know, with the players that he'd got, you know, decent keeper, decent back four, good solid midfield and, you know, two lads up front who could hit the back of the net if you gave them an opportunity, you know. But it was just, it was just brilliant. It was just a, like, you, you went into every game and this is what it is. It's confidence. It breeds confidence. You go into every game, you don't think you're going to lose. And I think that's very important, you know, the psychological aspects of football. You just don't think you're going to lose a game and that's how it was. It, it was great. And the other thing is, it, it, it's, it's the camaraderie of the players as well. Because, you know, if you've got a good group and any manager will say a good group of players, good, good characters, you know, in that dressing room, you know, it does it does carry you forward a lot. And we have some great characters like, you know, God bless him, Sean Hazel Grave, who passed away um, quite recently, Roger Jones. I mean, I could go through all of them, Alan A and John McPhail, you know, they were like twins, you know, following each other around. Big Keith, he was a character. It, it was just brilliant. It was a great season. And um, as I say, to get the 101 point, uh, it was 101 we got, wasn't it? I think, yeah. To get over a hundred points, it it was just a great achievement and and such a such a, a thrilling thing for a young lad like myself. 
Was there a bit of pressure to get over 100 points as you were getting close to it? Were you thinking that we could be the first team ever to do this? No, I don't think, I don't think so. I don't think we thought too much. Well, I, did. I didn't think too much about it. I mean, I was more, you know, even at that age, I was more concerned about having a good game and, you know, playing well to stay, you know, to stay in the team. You know, you don't really think about records and winning things. I mean, you because us footballers, you know, we're, we're very superstitious. So if you start talking about stuff like that, you know, it can all go wrong very quickly. <laughs> all the euphoria of that. And my dad tells me that you released a single called Den's Got a New Striker. Oh, God, yeah, we did. Blimey. Well, that was the B side. <laughs> that was the B side. We, we released the A side. It was called Here We Go. Some friends of mine, a lad called Tim Brack, they used to have a record shop uh, just near Lendl Bridge. It was them who organised the record. But yeah, they got me to sing this song, uh, Hello, Den Got a New Striker, because he just signed uh, Keith Elchin around the time when we started doing it. So, it was, yeah, it was good. We had great times. Brilliant. Was there a favourite goal that you, that you ever scored for York City? Well, I'll always say my first goal, of course. You know, we've just talked about that. I can't really, you know, pinpoint one. I did score one against Lincoln. These, these weren't in that year, though. These were early on in my career. I scored a great goal against Lincoln one night where I cut in and nutmegged one of the defenders and then scored from a, a very difficult angle. But I think, no, I think it, there's, there's not really one that stands out. The one I, I do like, the one someone put a video of it um, in the final game against Berry, where Keith Alchin put me through with a great ball and it's right into me path and I've just, you know, caught it beautifully and it's gone in. But no, every, every goal is brilliant, no matter where, where you score. Even scoring the back garden against the lad, now it's, uh, I still get a buzz. <laughs> I mean, I watched that Bury game, uh, the highlights last night, the one that you were talking about. The atmosphere looked great and the fans spilling yeah. on the pitch weren't at the end. And oh, it was fantastic. Were a real, real good time to be York City supporter. Yeah, they were. It was brilliant. And it was, we had an open-top bus around York, you know, after the, the game, which was quite... It was quite funny because, obviously, you know, we, we, York haven't got a massive fan base. So, where the bus went, there was probably tourists looking like We're waving at tourists where all the fans were more congregated around the uh, the town hall area and people were going a bit bizarre these lads just waving off the top of a bus but no it was brilliant it was it was fantastic at what point did you realize that other clubs were sort of interested in you because i know obviously against qpr the following season you you obviously played well against them in the in the two legs and and they kind of signed you i guess off the back of that but was there any other teams that were interested in you around that time yeah, you to, as a player, they used to always look in the Sunday people on a Sunday. You know, they used to have all the gossip like who was. So every week, you know, that season, there was, you'd usually be someone looking at, at quite a few of our players, uh, Keith, myself, you know, uh, Gary, you know, some of, uh, uh, quite a few of the other lads. So, yeah, you'd see snippets about Manchester City looking at you, Newcastle, Sunderland and uh, we're always sort of in and around. Of, when a side's doing well, they're sending scouts to every game, aren't they, I guess? Especially around those days, because, you know, it wasn't uncommon for, for lads to be signed from lower league clubs and going to, to first division clubs. You know, it doesn't happen so much now, I don't think, because of academies and, you know, and, and schools of excellence and stuff. But, yeah. Were you always likely to move on then? Were you quite ambitious at that point in your career? Yeah, well, yeah, I think, I think any player is ambitious. You've got to be. I'd been at York since I was 16 since 1977 and I think you know we've got through to 1984 I was happy to stay we were in the, the next division could we carry it on and keep going but maybe the time was right for me to move I don't I, I don't know I was ambitious I wanted to play you want to test yourself at the highest level against the best players and see how you could get on with it 
for me, that was probably the next, prog- uh, the natural progression, I guess. I guess probably what would have been quite difficult for you was to maybe leave Dennis Smith, because I guess without him coming to York, your career might have taken a different path. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, it was hard to leave Dennis. I was We were reunited a few times. A few uh, times, yeah. <laughs> down the years. Son of Dennis, the lad used to call me. You know. Yeah, it was, that was tough. That was tough. But as I say, you know, I went down to Queen's Park Rangers. I had a chat with Alan Mullery. It's very different. I was talking about this the other day. Very different in those days. You know, I just got a phone call to say I'd been sold to Queen's Park Rangers. You're on the 315 train. Alan Muller is going to meet you at the station. I didn't have an agent. There was no agents in those days. You know, there was no mobile phone. You know, you just have to get off the train at King's Cross. And there he was, Alan Mullery with his assistant, Frank Sibley. And they took me to a posh hotel, you know, near Hyde Park. My head was turned. I probably signed the worst contract any player's ever signed in the history of contracts. I was going to say, that must be difficult to negotiate a contract when you know that your club have sold you and, uh, and you kind of jump in the divisions to, to the top one. Yeah, well, it is, you know, because you don't, you don't know how much to ask for. You know, you don't know how much players are on. You don't, you know, you know nothing really. I mean, I, I did ring Mike up, you know, Mike Walker, who spotted me because he was, you know, still a, a sort of uh, on an advisory thing. But he didn't know either. He didn't know what players are earning. So the premise of the clubs in those days was to try and get the lad who you were signing the cheapest they possibly could. And, and Queen's Park Rangers did. And my head was turned because the, the Mullery said to me, uh, he said, um, who are York playing on Saturday? And I said, I think they're away at Bradford, something like that. And he said, well, we're at home to Manchester City. Well, where do you want to be? And it was like, oh, dear, where's the pen? Yeah. <laughs> Give me that pen. That, that was a regret. I, I, I signed for QPR. And it wasn't all about money, for not much more money than I was on at York. And, you know, and then I realised what a, a, a mistake that was when I got down to London, realised how much everything was and how much house prices are and stuff like that. And, you know, it, kept, it, it was a bit of a struggle for a couple of years. Did you have a phone without a lock on it? Or? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, just about, just about. <laughs> so... QPR, obviously, I think they played on a plastic pitch as well, didn't they, when you signed? Yeah, they did. Yeah, they played on the AstroTurf, which suited me greatly, you know. It was Being allergic like, to grass, obviously. Yeah. Well, I like to think I had a decent <laughs> enough touch and, and stuff like that. And, you know, it did help me. It was not great for defenders. You know, some of the you know, defenders after after games would be ripped to shreds, you know, the knees and the, the hips and stuff like that, where they're doing slide tackles. But when you're a centre-forward, you learn not to fall over on it very, very, very quickly. One of the goals I, I, I watched you on, on YouTube last night was the one against Chelsea that you scored in the 6-0 win. It was a great little run from the halfway line. And there's obviously two goals that you kind of remembered for, I think, quite fondly for QPL. It was that one and, and the one against Manchester United. Which, which one would you say was a better goal and which one meant more to you? Both different, weren't they? Both uh, slightly different. I mean, the goal against Chelsea was, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a great day because Chelsea and Queens Park Rangers, massive rivals. You know, the clubs are sort of very different these days uh, to where they were. Uh, it was a, a bit more of an even, a level playing field for them then. But yeah, to beat Chelsea six 0 on uh, Bank Holiday Monday, the QPR fans never forget it. But that goal. Yeah, it just sort of opened up for me. You, know, you turned and started running with the ball from the halfway line. And the players seemed to be diving in right, left and centre. And all of a sudden, I wriggled free and I've just got the keepers to be and I buried it. But the, the only thing with that goal is that I did a, a similar thing a couple of years earlier or a year earlier against Chelsea. I really beat everybody about four times, you know. And I just had the keeper to be and I missed. 
And people said if you'd have scored that goal, it would have been the greatest, one of the greatest goals of all time. And I, I, I sort of got through everyone and just panicked and put it wide of the post. But no, it's a great day. So the goal against Manchester United, a bit special because I'm from Manchester, a big United fan. I used to go home and away when I was a kid. I even went to Boovham Crescent when York City were in the second division just before Christmas. We went across with my cousin because we used to go to the games with my cousins and they used to take me, not in a shippo, and the... Frozen Thuris. Yeah, I was studying there and, you know, never in a million years would you have ever, the thought gone through your head that you could ever be playing for this football club in a few years, you know, just was just unthinkable. But yeah, yeah, we went to that game. Well, the goal against United, yeah, that's one of my, my favourites, you know, it's a nice little flick over the head, buried it into the bottom corner to score against your childhood team. I got a few phone calls in the evenings from all my friends and family saying, what were you thinking of, you know, scoring against the Reds? When you're scoring against teams like that, it doesn't do your reputation any harm. And and, and one little bit inside me thought, well, they might come in and buy me. <laughs> Wishful thinking. Then, deluded. Deluded. I, I know it was uh, obviously a bittersweet memory, but the Milk Cup final against Oxford, I know it was a bad defeat, but, but 90,000 people there at Wembley to watch you. That must have been a, a special moment. Yeah, I mean, you can always look at those games. I mean, you know, the FA Cup final, the Milk Cup final, we lost in both of them. But, you know, it's just... To be able to play in a, a Wembley final and to have the opportunity, millions and millions of players never get anywhere near it. So I just, I just think of it more of a, you know, a privilege to have been involved in those games. I mean, disappointed that we didn't lose. The Milk Cup final was awful. We played so so badly. But I think I think the, the biggest problem we had, we, we had no legs. I remember turning to, to one of the lads as we, we'd done the, you know, the, the shaking of hands and what have you. I said, I've got nothing in the tank. I had nothing in my legs and it was a, it was a really heavy Wembley that day. And I don't know whether that was because of the preparation we'd done, whether it wasn't right. You know, we, we, we went into a hotel sort of two or three days before rather than the night before where we tired. Jim Smith took us to, to watch a match the day before. He took us to White Hart Lane. Nervous energy, maybe. Yeah, exactly. And I think, think, yeah, I think that's possibly, you know, when I look back on it, because we played Oxford that season a couple of times and we beat them, I'd scored. They were a good side though. They had some good players. They had John Aldridge and Ray Alton and Jeremy Charles. The two hitmen at the back, Mal Shotton and Gary Briggs, who just used to beat you up when you played against them. They were a decent side. And on the day, they did, they fully deserved to win. But it, that, that, that is a disappointment, really, that we just didn't make a, more of a game of it. So after that, you moved on to Le Havre in France, which seems to me, obviously didn't know you at the time, but a, a bit of an obscure move. But how did that move come about? Well, we played them twice. <clears throat> it was a bit like the QPR, uh, York City scenario. We played them. We had an invitation game out there and we went out there, played, and we played them at Loftus Road in a, in a friendly. And at the end of the season, I had my form started to dip away uh, towards the end of that season. And Jim Smith just pulled me in one day and he said, listen, we've had an offer from Lahar for it. And I didn't really fancy it because we've been over there. The, the ground wasn't particularly great. You know, it's just, just I just didn't I just didn't fancy it. But Jim said to me in, in his imitable way, Jim, he just said, "Listen, he said, just go out there for the day. He said, take your wife, have some, get some juicy freeze, and have a day out in France. You don't have to sign." So I said, "Well, why not then?" So we did. We went to Paris, went to Havre. They upgraded the stadium. They built a new stand from when we'd been there. And it, it looked all right. You know, they showed us the training ground. The, the money was all right. 
know, it's not like they get these days, but, you know, it was it was all right. And I just thought, well, why not? Why not have a punt at this, you know? There was a few English players starting to, to go abroad. I thought, this, this, you know, this would be something totally different. So I went for it, and I'm, I'm really glad I did. You know, I spent two years out there. I've still got friends who I speak to. I can speak a little bit of French. I mean, it's not perfect by any means. I've took my boys' team out there the last couple of years, and La Havre have been brilliant. You know, they've, they've put on games with, with their academy boys. So, you know, from those couple of years, you know, long-term friendships have been, been kept, and I've got a great affinity with La Havre. I, I, I did enjoy my time there. Playing for Ireland, what, what was that, that like? Was it mixed emotions in the fact that you played a lot of games for them, but when you went to the Euros and the World Cup, you didn't actually play any minutes? Or were you just kind of delighted to be part of that squad? I was just delighted to be part of it, to be honest with you. Once again, you know, I was saying about the story about the level of players you go, you're playing with. I mean, my first Ireland game was against Italy. Uh, we were the world champions at the, at the time. And so nerve-wracking going into that hotel for the first time and seeing the likes of Mark Lawrence and Liam Brady, Frank Stapleton. You know, I didn't feel worthy to be around them. But they were great and it was brilliant. My dad, unfortunately, my dad, who was Irish, he was from Carlo. He passed away before I, I got to play for Ireland. But he would have been so proud of, of me. And I'm just so grateful for all those years I had with the Ireland side. Managed to get 23 caps. I went to a World Cup, went to a European Championship. I didn't get any time on the pitch, but it was just a brilliant, brilliant experience. I was so lucky to have been part of it. And I know it was uh, Jack Charlton's 85th birthday yesterday, wasn't it? What, what was he like to play for? Well, Jack was just Jack was just Jack. You know, he told you how it was during the World Cup. He'd come down and he'd, he'd go round. He'd all be having breakfast, and this is how he'd name his team. He'd, he'd, he'd point at Packy Bonner, you're playing. Chris Moore, you're playing. He'd point at me, go, you're not. <laughs> and then he'd go round everyone. But he was—he was a man's man. He just told it how it was. Quite clever, Jack. Though he'd, he'd sometimes, you know, try and make out he—he he wasn't as astute. As, as he was, you know, in tactically. But he was, you know, nights before games, you know, we were watching videos of their free kicks and stuff like that. He was very, very well detailed. He was funny. I mean, we, we played Wales once and again, naming the Welsh team, he said, I've got their team here. And he pulled out a packet of cigs out of his pocket and he went, I've got their team here. And he's got it written on the cigarette box, like, and he goes, South Hall in goal, you know, Neville, he's brilliant. He goes, uh, Mark Bowen, right back, yeah, he's a good player. He went, who's this, number five, Melville? Someone went, Andy Melville, Jack, he plays for Swansea. He went, oh, well, he can't be any good then. That's how he was. He was. Uh, he knew He knew full well who Andy Melville was and he knew he, he was a good player as well. Was your best moment for them when you scored two against Turkey away? Yeah, very much so, yeah. I mean, my debut, of course, you know, against Italy, the world champions. I mean, we, that was on a cold... I can't remember, I think it was in November and I met, no, it's February, I think, and, and it was freezing. But we had these sort of shirts from a, an Irish company called O'Neill, but they, they, when you swap your shirt at the end, the Italian shirts were made out of cashmere, which was like a jumper. It, it, it was unbelievable. I've still got it, but it was, I've never seen a football shirt made of wool before. You know, they must have just had them made because it was going to be so cold. But the night in Turkey was, yeah, that, I mean, that was my best night in a, an Ireland shirt. Everything just went right. You know, I had a good game. I scored a couple of goals. I made one, could have had that trick. But unfortunately, England were playing that night in Poland and they only needed a draw because we were in the same group. And I think Ian Wright scored late on in the game. We went out and if he hadn't scored, I would have been the hero. 
like so many times in my career, always always second best, unfortunately. When you played for Sunderland, you, you're well known for the, for the run you had to the cup final where you scored in every round up until the final. What, tell us about your memories of that time. Oh, that was just amazing. I mean, obviously, I linked up with Dennis again. Dennis came in through, I was at Brighton. I loved my time at Brighton, but the club was falling to pieces financially. They had to sell the better players. And yeah, we played uh, Sunderland and a couple of weeks before I scored a good goal and a good game and Dennis came in and, and signed me. It was a natural thing to do. He'd been chasing me for a few years. I thought I was going to sign for him during the World Cup in 1990, but it never materialised. Because by then I did have an agent, a lad called Paul Shrepper, who ended up as Wayne Rooney's agent. And unfortunately, the deal fell through and I didn't go. But yeah, no, the, the, the cup run, it, just, it was one of those things. It just kept snowballing. You know, first round against Port Vale, yeah, managed to get a goal. Second round, I think it was Oxford United. We went back there and beat them where they'd hammered us a few weeks before. And then it was West Ham at home, managed to get a draw, then went there for the replay. Probably thought we were going to get beat, to be honest. You know, they were Division 1 teams. They were mm. Premier League. We managed to win there. Then it was Chelsea in the sixth round. That probably was one of the best games I've ever been involved in, the, the replay of that game, because we managed to get a draw at Stamford Bridge. It was all going wrong against Chelsea. We'd, we'd done really well, but Dennis Wise had equalised with about five minutes to go. And you could see the lads, their shoulders went down, the legs were looking weary. And all of a sudden, Gordon Armstrong, you know, manages to, to find an header into the top corner with a, with a few seconds left. And I've never seen Roker Park as ecstatic. It was just unbelievable. Absolutely unbelievable. Well, I did talk to someone from Sunderland the other week. And I told him a story about when the final whistle went in that Chelsea game. A fan ran on to give me a bear hug. He'd split my nose with his baseball cap. <laughs> so I come off the pitch covered in blood. And all the lads had thought I'd been in a fight with uh, Vinnie Jones or someone like that. I said, no, one of our fans has just done it with his baseball cap. You said in the uh, the 101-point season for York City that you weren't conscious of that, thinking about that, that kind of record. Were you thinking about this one, though? Because obviously it was a bit more individual that you'd scored in every round. Did that have any more pressure to you, for instance, in the final? No, I, it's just a byproduct of the cup run, me scoring the goals. I mean, there was lots of capable players in that side, you know, who, who could have Peter Davenport, who could have scored as well. But I mean, it's it just like the chances fell to me. It's funny you say that, though. I spoke to my friend Anton Rogan a few weeks ago. I don't know if you remember Anton. Anton was a fullback for Sunderland in that cup run. He played for Celtic all those years in Northern Ireland. And there was, a, there was a part in the game where I broke through with the ball. And when you saw it after, how I never gave him the pass, because he was in behind me. And I took a shot instead of cutting it back on myself for Anton to be in. And I didn't know he was there. And, and I know this sounds terrible, because I saw a Sunderland fan have put like, something about me saying I was greedy in the final and just trying to break the record, which I've got to be totally honest, I was not. You know, if, if someone would have been in a better position than me and I knew they were there, I would have certainly rather win the FA Cup than be a player who scored in every round. But yeah, I was disappointed when I looked back at the, the, the replay and, I, and that was one opportunity. I said to Rogie anyway, I said, if I give it, you'd have probably missed anyway, being a fullback. So the answer to the question, no, I don't feel any pressure. I mean, we were playing against Liverpool. We were a second division club playing against one of the best teams in Europe. You know, the chances of us creating an upset were minimal, really. You know, we just needed a bit of luck. We didn't get it. I mean, I had a chance on the 13th minute, 20th second, and that's how precise I know I should have scored and I slapped it I took my eye off the ball and it just 
rolled helplessly in, into Bruce Grobelar's hands. But the second half, we we just never we couldn't get the ball off him. You needed a bit of luck. You needed you needed something to happen in that game, something to go off somebody's shin or something like that. And if you don't, when you play against the best teams, you know they'll they'll start to dictate. And they did. Jan Mulby just ran the show in the second half. I mean, I guess particularly if they scored a first goal as well, you know, you needed to get that first goal. Absolutely. But no regrets. Again, you know, going back, you know, I played in an FA Cup final. And, you know, when I was a kid growing up, you know, we used to watch the build-up. used to come on about 10 o'clock in the morning. You're probably too young to remember all this, but it it was on all day. And there was things like it's a knockout with the band. And you were just fascinated with it. And to be part of that, it was was brilliant. I'm so lucky. You know, there wasn't that much live football on back then either, was there? The FA Cup final was the one day where a lot of people would sit down and watch it. Absolutely. Yeah. Even if it, you know, even if it wasn't United, you know, you'd, you'd still watch it because of the spectacle it was. It was just a brilliant day. And, and the one thing that makes me happy is that we got to the final in a year where there was no playing weakened teams or anything like that. You know, the three Premier League teams or Division One teams that we played, they all fielded their strongest teams, and we, you know, we still managed to get through and and beat them. I mean, probably as I say, the Liverpool. Four, beating four Premier League teams to win the FA Cup, that would have been a, a mammoth task. But we had, we had a great day out. But you did have some luck, because I, I think I read somewhere that you actually got a winner's medal given to you by accident at the end. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. Yeah, she gave out the medals. I think it was the Duchess of Kent, I think. But yeah, we all got down the stairs. You know, you're trudging away down the 39 steps thinking about what might have been, the, the chance I had going through my mind, you know, and then you look down and she's, she's give the wrong medals out, she's give the winner's medals out. So we all thought we could sneak off and keep them. But as soon as we got round to the tunnel area, there was somebody you know, very, very quickly, you know, taking them off us and, and swapping them as for our losers' medals. So just bringing it on to the present day, a lot of York fans will be sort of asking, what do you do now? I'm a podiatrist. And I don't know if a lot of people know what a podiatrist is. I work in the NHS. I've been in the NHS for the last 20 years. So when I finished playing football, I was very interested in going into physiotherapy, you know, trying to sort of get back into football that way. So I went to uni, I did an access course for a year and then to try to get a place at uni doing physio, I couldn't get a place. But Norman Whiteside, who plays in Manchester United, if you remember Norman, he's a podiatrist and the PFA put me in touch with him and he told me all about the course. And I thought, yeah, that sounds quite interesting. So I did three years at uni. My main role as a podiatrist is as a, what we call a musculoskeletal podiatrist. So I deal day in, day out with people with arthritis in the fee, muscle tendon tears. I'm able to send people for x-rays, MRI scans. I can give injections, steroid injections, stuff like that. I also have a hand in the main one we're doing at the moment because we're not seeing that type of patient at the moment with the current situation. We deal a lot with diabetic patients who've got wounds on their feet, you know, chronic wounds. So we have to see them a couple of times a week, make sure they stay free from infection, redress them. I've been doing it as long as I was playing football. And it's weird, really, because I don't know where that 20 years has gone. But I enjoy my job. I love it. And I've worked with some great people. It's very different from football. And how does it compare to sort of your playing career? The weirdest thing was when I started, I'd never worked with, apart from admin staff, I'd never worked in an environment where women were working. So you had to be very careful. You know, you go in a dressing room every day and you're all taking the mickey out of each other so all of a sudden you're going into like you know a clinic and you can't start taking the mick out of people because you don't understand football humor so you have to tone that down very quickly and not take the mickey out of people's clothes and things like that you know as we as we used to but 
Yeah, it's very different. I mean, I've got to be honest with you. Some days I do look out of the window and I think, I wish I was, tra- I wish I was out training now. I wish I was on a training pitch and we were doing crossing and shooting and the, it was a, a, a nice sort of autumn day. The, the floor's wet, the ball's zipping about. That's where I'd like to be. Uh, not, not the first day of pre-season. Forget pre-season. No, I'm happy I'll never be doing another pre-season again. And then just finally, just to bring it on to, back, back to York City, do you keep an eye on the club? What, what, what are your yeah. thoughts about how the club has fallen? Yeah, I do. I've always kept, I've, I keep an eye on all the clubs that I played for. As I say, with, with York City, it's different. You know, that was where I started. You know, that's, I'm not just saying this because I'm on this podcast, but I spent my 40, formative years there, you know, as a footballer. And, you know, it, I, I saw the, the, the lowest of the lows around that time, you know, to the highs of, you know, the 100 points. As I say, it's got a special place in my heart. To see them where they are now, like anybody, you know, we're just gobsmacked how they've ever got to this level. But it just shows you that anyone, any team in football doesn't have a divine right, you know, to be in the in the highest leagues. And if it's not run properly or not managed properly, it can happen to to pretty much anyone, can't it? You know, and it, but I'm sure I'm I'm optimistic. My glasses are full. I I think they're on the way back. Steve Watson is it at the moment. Yeah, he yeah. seems to be doing a good job, and he seems to be moving them in the right direction. It's it's just a mammoth step to try and get back to where they should be, and I've got every confidence that they're they're going to be able to do it. I think you'll be able to kind of get a chance to come across. I mean, the last game at Boom Crescent has already been what? and gone, but but maybe the new stadium. I will do. Well, well, the plan was to come up for the last game. You know, I was in touch with like Joe and you know, and we're saying about meeting up and going to that game because, it, you know, we'd love to have, have, have said goodbye to the old place. You know, it's got so many memories. But unfortunately, as I say, that, that's gone now. But yeah, now as soon as this situation's over and the new stadium and things are back to normal, I, I will be bringing it up most definitely. Yeah, big place in my heart, York City Football Club, as, as it is for... A lot of players who played for it. Well, John, thanks so much for your time. I'm sure everyone in hospital will enjoy listening to this. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Dan. Thanks, you. John Byrne there, someone I've really enjoyed speaking to. found him really funny at times and I always really like to hear players that played years ago and, and can still remember each and every moment and, and speak passionately about them. And that sums John up for me. Also enjoyed the chance to look at York City TV, the YouTube channel, which uh, Phil Howden's been putting loads of content on recently. And luckily for me, it was lots of stuff about the 1980s before I interviewed John Byrne. So that was really nice to kind of watch some of that footage rather than just having read about it and, and things like that. So it was quite nice to have my research there of watching those, those videos. So thank you, Phil Howden, if, you, if you're listening. Finally, just say thank you to everyone who's listened everyone who has donated to the charity just a, another polite reminder it's justgiving.com forward slash york hospital radio it makes a huge difference to the charity as you can imagine charities in this current climate are probably not getting the, the level of funding that they would normally would or donations through that they normally would and every little helps in that sense also should have at least another episode in this kind of lockdown series that we've been doing as i'm kind of recording this voiceover We've got one scheduled for in a couple of days, so hopefully that'll get recorded all, all being well. I should have that out for you soon. Thanks again. Mm-hmm.